reading from the book of Joshua. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know I am with you as I was with Moses. Now command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant to come to a halt in the Jordan when you reach the edge of the waters. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that there is a living God in your midst, who at your approach will dispossess the Canaanites. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of the whole earth will precede you into the Jordan. When the soles of the feet of the priests carrying the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of the whole earth, touch the water of the Jordan, it will cease to flow. For the water flowing down from upstream will halt in a solid bank. The people struck their tents to cross the Jordan, with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant ahead of them. No sooner had these priestly bearers of the Ark waded into the waters at the edge of the Jordan, which overflows all its banks during the entire season of the harvest. Then the waters flowing from upstream halted, backing up in a solid mass for a very great distance indeed, from Adam, a city in the direction of Zarethan, while those flowing downstream toward the salt sea of the Arabah disappeared entirely. Thus the people crossed over opposite Jericho, while all Israel crossed over on dry ground, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord remained motionless on dry ground in the bed of the Jordan until the whole nation had completed the passage. Verbum Domini. Alleluia. When Israel came forth from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of alien tongue, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his domain. The sea beheld and fled, Jordan turned back, the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like the lambs of the flock. Why is it, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back? You mountains that you skip like rams, you hills like the lambs of the flock. Shine upon your servant and teach. 
Dominus Vobisco. Lexio Sancti Evangelii Secundum Mateum. Peter approached Jesus and asked him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus answered, I say to you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. That is why the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who decided to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the accounting, a debtor was brought before him who owed him a huge amount. Since he had no way of paying it back, his master ordered him to be sold, along with his wife, his children, and all his property, in payment of the debt. At that, the servant fell down, did him homage, and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back in full. Moved with compassion, the master of that servant let him go and forgave him the loan. When that servant had left, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a much smaller amount. He seized him and started to choke him, demanding, pay back what you owe. Falling to his knees, his fellow servant begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he had the fellow servant put in prison until he paid back the debt. Now when his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were deeply disturbed and went to their master and reported the whole affair. His master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you your entire debt because you begged me to. Should you not have had pity on your fellow servant as I had pity on you? Then in anger, his master handed him over to the torturers until he should pay back the whole debt. So will my heavenly father do to you unless each of you forgives his brother from the heart. When Jesus finished these words, he left Galilee and went to the district of Judea across the Jordan. It is often the case that, as children, siblings tend to fight with one another. And of course, it was no different with my siblings and me. And I can recall one time as a child when my brother and sister got into an argument with one another, but I cannot remember what exactly the argument was about. And at some point, it turned physical, and they began hitting each other back and forth. One sibling hit the other on the arm, and then the other returned the favor. And this exchange went on for what seemed like a few minutes. And as I witnessed this scene unfold, I thought to myself, this is so stupid. The whole fight could easily come to an end if one of them would just simply stop hitting the other. And this memory from my childhood has become, over the years, a simple reminder of two basic truths about sinful humanity. First, we have a twisted sense of justice. 
since my brother and sister were not really interested in forgiveness and mercy at that time, they were only focused on getting even. But who is to say when the debt is fully paid between both parties? They both felt like they had been slighted by the other and continued to exact retribution back and forth while never achieving satisfaction. Revenge was never enough. And the second truth that I came to realize is, is that forgiveness is really the only path to peace. Unless my parents came into the room to intervene and break up the fight between my siblings, one of them was going to have to decide to end it themselves and stop seeking retribution, even if they had still felt slighted by the other. And so this would require forgiveness. And this desire for revenge is a common human experience. We have a natural tendency to seek restitution for any injustices committed against us. And while there is nothing wrong with seeking justice, per se, and it is sometimes necessary to exact punishment and restitution for the sake of the conversion of the wrongdoer, it is usually not good for the victim themselves to take justice into their own hands. We, have, we often have a skewed sense of justice and seek retribution that is excessive the more we act upon our desire for revenge and even take delight in it, the more we crave it. And this usually leads to the multiplication of injustices and offenses. And this, thus the cycle, the violence tends to be get more violence and the cycle continues. In the gospel reading today, Jesus gives us the antidote to violence and strife, to discord. Peter, knowing that our Lord desires mercy and forgiveness, asks Jesus how many times he ought to forgive his brother. He says as many as seven times, perhaps thinking that this is a rather generous number. And Jesus gives Peter a hyperbolic answer and says, not seven times, but 77 times. That is an endless number of times. And thus, Jesus not only communicates to his disciples the limitless mercy of God, but he also reverses the arrogant statement that we see of Lamech in the book of Genesis. If we recall from chapter 4 of Genesis, after Cain murders his brother Abel out of a twisted sense of, of vengeance, God tells Cain that he will become a wanderer on the earth. <clears throat> And Cain says that his punishment is too great and that the people will want to kill him if they see him. And God says that if anyone kills Cain, vengeance will be taken upon that person sevenfold. And later, a descendant of Cain named Lamech murders a young man for striking him. And then he exclaims to his wives, if Cain is avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy-sevenfold. And thus Cain's violent murder of his brother Abel has had the unintended consequence of unleashing an avalanche of violent vengeance. The blood of more and more victims cries out from the earth for vengeance. And these cries are insatiable. 
In the Old Testament law, safeguards and limitations are put in place to curb humanity's lust for blood. For example, the law concerning an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was meant to limit the level of retribution a person could exact for injuries inflicted upon them. Cities of refuge were required to be put in place in designated areas for people who accidentally killed another person so that they might escape the avenger of blood. And this was to prevent the family of the person killed from taking vengeance upon a potentially innocent person until a fair hearing is held. There was even a law in Leviticus forbidding the taking of vengeance upon one's, upon one's neighbor. Leviticus 19 says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason with your neighbor, lest you bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear any grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Hence, while the forgiveness of offenses is not explicitly required in the Old Testament law, it is implied in the law that I mentioned from Leviticus. In order that vengeance might be avoided, forgiveness is necessary. And there are also laws in the Old Testament governing the forgiveness of financial debts. The laws are meant not merely for the protection of those with wealth, but for the protection and rights of the rights and needs of the poor. The Lord God was especially concerned with those who come upon hard times and are not able to pay back their debts, let alone provide for themselves and for their families. And he instructs the people to behave in such a way as not to reduce people, their own people, to abject slavery and treat each other the way that the Egyptians had treated them. And one of the ways that a person could be reduced to cruel slavery would be to impose insurmountable debts upon them that they could never repay unless they gave themselves over to slavery. Thus, the Israelites were supposed to have compassion for one another, especially their debtors. They were required by law to make sure that everyone, including the foreigner living among them, that they had sufficient food. The year of Jubilee was supposed to take place every seven weeks of seven years, that is seven times seven years, on the 50th year, during which debts were forgiven, property was returned to its rightful owners, slaves were granted freedom, and laborers were given a year to rest. And having this in mind, <clears throat> What Jesus does at the beginning of his public ministry in the synagogue at Nazareth makes more sense. He stands up and reads from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord that is, the Jubilee year. He then closes the book, sits down, and proclaims to the people in the synagogue, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
In other words, Jesus himself is the Jubilee year. He is the one who brings liberty to captives through the forgiveness of sins. And those whom the Lord has forgiven and have shown mercy are thus called to show mercy to others. If we imagine Jesus as the king in the parable today, we see that he first demands justice for any debt that is owed. So the debtor comes in who owes the king a very large amount, and the king orders that he be sold along with his wife, children, and property in payment of the debt. And yet this king is not really interested in reducing his subjects to abject slavery or poverty, but rather in, in the, he's interested in their salvation and their well-being. And so the debtor begs the king for more time to pay back the debt. So you notice that the, the debtor is not asking to be forgiven of the debt. It is the king who takes pity on the debtor and goes a step further by forgiving the entire debt. So his graciousness, out of his graciousness, he forgives the entire debt. The king had every right to exact strict justice from the debtor and would have been justified in reducing the debtor to slavery. But instead, the king shows tremendous mercy in canceling the entire debt because it's not about destroying the man that's in front of him. It's about his salvation. And this should have been a huge relief for this debtor and it should have inspired in him a deep sense of gratitude that he would then go and share with others. But unfortunately, the debtor's treatment of his poor neighbor, who owes him a much smaller amount, betrays his own self-centeredness. And the king's graciousness towards the debtor imposed an obligation on that debtor to be merciful to others. When the debtor fails to extend the king's graciousness, the king finds out and reinstates the debt. Thus, if we wish to receive forgiveness and mercy from the Lord for our own transgressions, then we must be willing to forgive others' transgressions. This does not mean that there is never room for any sort of punishment or restitution, but that it should never be carried out from a sense of revenge or desire to get even. Rather, we should be more concerned for the salvation of the offender's soul. Any correction that is administered should be ordered towards the conversion of the offender, not towards his destruction, or done out of a disordered desire for revenge. If a person shows contrition for their offenses and expresses their contrition through acts of reparation, we should be willing and eager to forgive them. This doesn't mean that this cancels out the memory of what has happened. You know, I'm, I'm not a, a believer in forgive and forget. You know, you can't forget something that the terrible that's happened to us. But we can still forgive, even if we still have the memory of the injury. <clears throat> and even if a person has yet to show any contrition, we should still cultivate within us a desire not to harbor anger 
bitterness or desire for revenge, but to forgive the person, or at least be willing to forgive the person. Our automatic disposition should be the same as our Lord's disposition towards us sinners, a willingness to show mercy towards all. You know, Jesus showed mercy even towards those who crucified him and showed no sign of repentance. He prayed from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It is the divine power of forgiveness and mercy that overcomes the sin of human wrath. We have been beneficiaries of the Lord's mercy, especially through the sacraments of baptism and reconciliation. And so let us strive to imitate the Lord's great mercy in our everyday lives and to pay his mercy forward to others, even towards those who are not deserving of mercy, in the hopes that all might be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth.